0: In the last 25 or 30 years, many of the different Buddhist traditions have been funneling into the West. and It's an interesting phenomenon because in Asia often for many hundreds of years practitioners and teachers of these different traditions didn't communicate and didn't talk to each other. They were really quite isolated And so people are coming together you know, in Western cultures, often meeting for the first time. And sometimes there's some startling confusions which come about from that. <clears throat> there was one famous meeting back in the 70s between Kala Rinpoche. Who was one of the great Tibetan meditation masters of this century? And Sansim, you know, the Korean Zen master. They met for the first time. And Sansanim, in Zen Dharma combat fashion, you know, holds up an orange and demands of color imagery. What is this? You know, expecting some response about the nature of reality, and Kalu just kind of looks at him, <laughs> <coughs> and Niem, you know, says in a more demanding voice, what is this? And this goes back and forth a few times, and finally Kalu Rinpoche turns to one of his attendants and says, don't they have oranges in Korea? <laughs> So there's often a missing... (laughs) Well, tonight I'd like to talk about (laughs) the nature of mind. And in it, try to clarify the meaning of some words that we use often, but are sometimes used in different ways in different traditions and therefore can create some confusion when we try to sort it all out. Now all words used to describe different aspects of the mind, words like mind, consciousness, and awareness, and mindfulness. Now what does each of them mean? And in this clarification of terms, as we begin to explore their meaning, we might see that underlying all of the different traditions and teachings, there is one essential fundamental principle of liberation, one dharma of freedom. The fundamental attribute, or we could say function, of what we call mind, the fundamental function is consciousness that is the knowing faculty consciousness <laughs> simply knows in its barest most naked form and knowing here doesn't refer to the acquisition of knowledge so it's not that kind of knowing but rather it's just the very bare experience of the object itself and so there's knowing of sight, of sound, of smell, of taste, of touch, of sensation, of mind objects. It's bare knowing without any proliferation of thought or reaction or judgment. <coughs> so this is what consciousness means. Consciousness is the knowing faculty. And sometimes we use the word mind and consciousness synonymously. Okay, just the knowing. So knowing is arising in every moment. It's knowing one thing or another. Now, in every moment <coughs> of knowing arising, delusion can be present in that moment or not present. Now this is a very important point. Delusion (coughs) is not inherent in consciousness. It's not something inextricably linked. Delusion is sometimes there when the conditions are there for it. It's not inherent in the knowing mind. And yet, as we've experienced, it's quite a strong habit. And so it arises with tremendous frequency. And we can begin to see this. Now delusion, when it arises, conceals the true nature of experience. It conceals the true nature of the object It conceals the true nature of the knowing itself. And the Buddha, in pointing out the great difficulty of delusion, he said that it's delusion which is the root of all unwholesome activity. It's this not seeing clearly that is the root of all unwholesome actions of body, speech and mind. So we can see this delusion expressing itself or manifesting in all those moments when there's attachment to an object or identification with something or fixation on an object. Because in that moment of delusion, of fixation, of identification, we are not seeing clearly, in fact probably not seeing at all, the three characteristics of existence. We're taking, because of the delusion, we're taking what is impermanent to be permanent, and what's unsatisfying to be satisfying, and what's not-self to be self. Because if we were seeing clearly, there would be no attachment. There would be no identification or fixation. So we have countless moments in the day clouded by delusion. You know, and I'm sure you've noticed and will continue to notice the many times in a sitting or a day when something arises and the mind gets caught up in some experience. You know, there may be a judgment, a reaction, a plan, a desire, a fear, a wanting whatever, something is arising, conditioned by various causes, and then there's a moment of identification with it. We get caught by it. We get attached to it. And we can feel it really as a moment of contraction. And in that moment when there's an identification or attachment to an arising experience, In that moment of attachment, there's an energetic contraction. And So an image that's come to mind very often, it's like objects coming and going. They're just arising and passing away. We could call them objects. We could call them appearances. I I like the word appearance because it desolidifies it somewhat. Simply appearances arising. And it's as if They all have little hooks on them, but they're just going by, each with their hook. In moments of delusion, Pac-Man bites, (laughs) it's like the mind just bites on the hook and we get caught. It's helpful to notice each of these moments of contraction, of identification, because they're moments of suffering. whenever we're getting lost, caught up in, taking to be self, you know, a thought or a sensation or whatever it is, in that moment, there is a moment of suffering. And so, right then, we are actually experiencing the truth for ourselves of the first two noble truths. We're seeing it. It's no longer theoretical. We're seeing, feeling the suffering of it and seeing the cause of it which is the attachment, the clinging. So we know and have experienced that delusion is arising in many moments of consciousness where we're not seeing clearly. But the delusion and all of the kalesas, all of the defilements which tag along with delusion They are not inherent to consciousness itself, they're not inherent to knowing. There are many moments in the day also when the mind is free of delusion. The word we can use to describe the consciousness that is free of delusion, that is free of clinging, free of identification. The word that can be used to describe that consciousness, free of delusion, is awareness. So awareness is that mind, that consciousness, free of delusion, free of ignorance. And it might be that it's free of delusion for a moment we have momentary experiences of it, also many times in a day when the mind is not grasping, not clinging, not identified with what's happening. And in the case of a fully enlightened being, this habit pattern of delusion has been uprooted completely, and so the freedom of mind, the freedom in this nature of awareness is ongoing we are very familiar with descriptions of the deluded mind not only familiar with the descriptions of it free with familiar with the experience of it and the buddhist texts are filled with lists describing how the mind gets caught in various ways. There's the hindrances and the bonds and the floods and the taints and in the Vasudhi Magha. I mean, there's pages describing the deluded mind as a way of helping us to see and understand. But I think it's also helpful for us to describe the nature of awareness, the nature of the mind which is free of clinging, free of attachment. What is that mind like? The mind that is not conditioned by kalesis. What is the nature, what is the quality of that consciousness, of awareness? Because if we become familiar with the description, the words can actually point us to the experience of recognizing it. Now so often we just pass over those moments when the mind is free of delusion. And so we miss the opportunity to recognize it clearly. And because we don't recognize it clearly, it hinders, uh, hinders us from accessing it easily. So what I'd like to do is to spend some time tonight talking about and describing the nature of awareness. I mean, over these last three months we've talked about greed and delusion and fear and aversion and so this is the other side. And it was this this way of teaching was framed actually in quite an unusual way by a twelfth century Korean Zen master, and his name was Shinul. And in a way he was the father of Korean Zen. And he wrote this wonderful book, or there is a book of his teachings called, Tracing Back the Radiance. And he framed the teaching in one very with one very significant concept. He called it, Sudden Awakening, Gradual Cultivation. And it's a bit startling because this is almost the opposite of how we usually think of our practice we generally think of it as gradual cultivation leading to awakening. Well, Chanel kind of turns that on its head and says sudden awakening to begin with and then the gradual cultivation of that state. So what is this sudden awakening that he's talking about? It's the recognition, it's the direct experience for each of us of the fundamentally empty, clear nature of awareness. Now remember, awareness means consciousness free of delusion, free of clinging, free of attachment. And so sudden awakening, fish and is the recognition of the nature of this awareness, of the mind free of delusion. We begin to see and understand, as we investigate this, as we look for ourselves, that it's not a state of mind that's developed, because it's it's an absence of something. It's an absence of delusion. And so it's already and always present in every moment when there is no clinging, when there is no attachment, when there is no identification. It's not, awareness is not something we have to get. It's something we need to recognize and come back to. There's a mantra that has been very helpful for me, it's one of, one of my mantras, <laughs> that has really helped me in my practice a lot. Because it is a skillful means for not clinging. That's its purpose. And this mantra is, it's already here. And I use it when I'm sitting, I'm going along, and I can feel my mind looking for something, wanting something, expecting something. And it could be something trivial, it could be enlightenment. But it's all characterized by the wanting mind. And so already The mind is in delusion. It's caught by the wanting. And so using the mantra, it's already here, reminds me that it's not about wanting something. It's about letting go of clinging. And in that moment, it's already here, I can feel the mind relax and open and drop back into the moment of knowing free of attachment, free of clinging. So Shanola is saying, let's start with awakening, recognizing this nature of awareness, and then practice the gradual cultivation of that recognition. Okay, an important point here, sudden awakening, awakening to the nature of awareness does not mean fully enlightened. So That's not what it's referring to. It's referring to the recognition of the mind of awareness in which at least for that moment there's no delusion, there's no clinging, and we have many of those moments. We need to recognize them, we need to see them. One of the dangers is that sometimes people have a genuine moment of opening to awareness, a genuine moment of recognition, of realization of it. But then the mind jumps in and thinks, oh, I got it, I'm free, this is it big mistake. And Chenul emphasized this point a lot in the second part of his teaching. He talks about sudden awakening to the nature of awareness, but then he talks about gradual cultivation of that. I'd like to read just a few lines in which he emphasizes the need for the gradual cultivation. This is quoting from his, his teaching. Although we have awakened to original nature, beginningless habit energies are extremely difficult to remove suddenly. Hindrances are formidable and habits are deeply ingrained. Often gifted people can break through this affair and achieve sudden awakening without <coughs> expending a lot of strength. Then they relax and do not try to counteract the habit energies and deluded thoughts. Finally after the passage of many days and months they simply wander on as before and are unable to avoid samsara. So how could you neglect subsequent cultivation? Simply because of one moment of awakening. After awakening you must be constantly on your guard. If deluded thoughts suddenly appear do not follow after them. Reduce them again and again until you reach the unconditioned. Then and only then will your practice reach completion. So we want to keep the proper balance between these two aspects. Recognizing the nature of awareness, and again awareness means consciousness, the knowing faculty in any moment which is free of delusion. Recognizing that and then cultivating that recognition. So what is this mind of sudden awakening? What is the quality of awareness? It's been described very beautifully in many different traditions. Remember that all the descriptions are words describing it. It's like fingers pointing to the moon. So we don't want to get attached to the finger. They're all a pointing. So we need to actually look where the finger is pointing to. We need to look at the nature of our own mind. One teaching which you've heard many times in these last three months, you know, but it so clearly expresses this understanding. This is from the Pali the nature of the mind is radiant and pure. It's obscured by visiting defilements. The nature of the mind is radiant and pure. It's the nature of awareness, the mind free of delusion. But it gets obscured by delusion. This is from Chanul. The nature of mind or awareness is unstained and is originally whole and complete in itself. Why is it unstained? It's unstained because the nature of awareness, the mind free of clinging, is like space. You know the example, which again I think is found someplace in the text, of trying to throw paint into space. It doesn't stain the space, color the space, because there's no place for it to land. So the nature of awareness is unstained, unstainable, because it has that space-like nature. This is from the Tibetan tradition. The essence of mind is like space, therefore there is nothing it does not encompass. Sometimes we use space as a metaphor for awareness. Because awareness, that is, consciousness free of delusion, free of kalesa, defilements, has many space-like qualities. When you look into the nature of your own mind, into the nature of awareness, we see that it's invisible. An exercise that I've mentioned many times during the course this framing our understanding in the passive voice, things being known, sensation being known, sounds being known, and then looking to see, known by what? And when we look to see, well, things are being known, clearly sounds, sounds are arising and being known. Known by what? There's nothing to see, it's invisible it's clear, it's empty, it's unobstructed. These are all qualities of space which could be applied to understanding the qualities of awareness. So if as an experiment we wanted to see okay how would we experience the space in this room? Now look at the space. Become aware of the space. How would you do that? Well, if you're looking too hard, (laughs) okay, where is it? (laughs) We look right through it to the objects. So we can't really be looking for something because it's invisible. So if we want to become aware of the space in the room, what's required is just a, a relaxing, a settling back, an opening, a receiving. And in that, the awareness of space happens. Well, in exactly the same way, to understand the quality, the space-like quality of awareness, we need to relax, settle back, simply receive. And in that, the nature of awareness begins to reveal itself. But it's important to understand that space is used just as an analogy. Awareness is not space. Space doesn't know anything. (laughs) And so we don't want to confuse these two. We're just using it as an analogy because it has certain qualities in common. But awareness is consciousness free of delusion. There's a knowing faculty there. So it's quite different than space. And sometimes people hear the phrase resting in awareness, or just rest in awareness. And it gets held in such a way that somehow we imagine or create some idea of this great spaciousness and we're resting in spaciousness And somehow that that is the nature of awareness. I think that's uh, confusing. We don't want to be identifying with anything. We don't want to be creating a sense of space and then identifying with that and saying, yes, this is awareness. This is the nature of awareness. We don't want to be identifying even simply with the knowing. Somebody once reported to one of the Tibetan teachers talking about their experience of awareness and saying how how it felt just like this great boundless spaciousness. And he replied, it's not really what it's about. It's not about spaciousness, which is just another created state. It's about groundlessness. Groundlessness meaning that nothing is to be held on to, not taking a stand any place. And so this is the crucial point of understanding, that nothing whatsoever is to be clung to as I or mine, not the objects, not some idea of spaciousness, not awareness itself. Because as soon as we cling to anything, in any way, we've gone from awareness back to delusion. So always the reference point is the mind that's not clinging to anything as I or mine. So consciousness. Consciousness is the simple knowing of the object. Sometimes consciousness this knowing is clouded by delusion and we call this ignorance. It's characterized by fixation, by attachment, by clinging, by grasping, by taking a stand, by solidifying. That's the nature of delusion. We're not seeing things as they truly are. Sometimes consciousness or knowing is free of delusion, free of clinging, free of attachment. Consciousness free of delusion, we call awareness, we call it the wisdom mind, we could call it innate wakefulness of mind. So an image which describes this movement from delusion to awareness, back to delusion, is that of the image that can be used, is the image of ice and water. Ice is solid, it's compacted, it it represents our ordinary deluded mind state. Where we're identified with one thing or another. Water is an image representing the nature of awareness. It's fluid, it's unfrozen, it's unfixated. But what's so interesting here is that ice melted is nothing other than water. And so awareness is not something else that we have to find. It's simply the melting of delusion. It's a melting of delusion, the letting go of clinging. Ice becomes water when there's no grasping at anything. And so it's this very same mind. It's not something apart from us. It's simply the melting of the fixation. Because sometimes we think we've melted the ice and the mind is water, but it's really slush. (laughs) Because it can feel like There's no clinging and no identification. You know, and oh yes, resting in awareness, resting in water. But there are so many subtle levels of attachment, of clinging. And it's very interesting just to watch this process of ice to water to slush to. (laughs) Because we can be in a slushy state thinking it's water, and kind of going along, going along, and then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, the mind suddenly will let go of what it had been holding on to. And it could have been holding on to something as subtle as an identification with the knowing, with the awareness. It could be a holding on to wanting to sustain certain feeling. All of those are subtle kinds of clinging or attachment. So we're going along and then there's a sudden relaxation of that and we realize, oh yeah, that wasn't water at all. It really was a contraction of sorts. So we drop back and that process keeps happening until we really, in moments, have the experience of the completely unfrozen mind. There's one more teaching that illuminates another aspect of the nature of awareness. And this is where things get really interesting and beautiful. This particular teaching, although it's expressed in many different places, comes from the Tibetan uh, Master Shabkar He said the mind's nature is vivid. The mind's nature here meaning awareness, water, the mind free of clinging. The mind's nature is vivid as a flawless piece of crystal, intrinsically empty, naturally radiant, ceaselessly responsive. The mind's nature is vivid as a flawless piece of crystal, intrinsically empty, naturally radiant, ceaselessly responsive. This formulation is meaningful because it brings in a third quality of awareness. It's not only empty, like space. It's radiant, which is the knowing aspect. It's ceaselessly responsive, which is the energy of compassion. And this nature of awareness is manifesting, consciousness free of grasping, free of clinging. It manifests as water ceaselessly responding to the environment. And so if you think for a moment of water on a mountain as it makes its way down to the ocean, and it just responds in every moment to the topography of that particular place. And what's interesting about water going to the ocean, that even though it seems to meander, it's always the shortest possible course, given the particular topography. There's something I like about that. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, the ceaseless responsiveness of awareness to changing conditions is the quality of love, of compassion, because there's no holding to anything. There's no contraction. There's no self-referencing. Think of the most enlightened people you may know or know about or have seen, and, and somebody who, who easily comes to mind for many of us is somebody like the Dalai Lama, You know, who manifests this water-like uncontracted spontaneous responsiveness to people, to situations. It's not contrived. It's not effortful. It is the expression of emptiness, it is the expression of awareness. When we're not fixated on particular thoughts or particular images or judgments or reactions, when we're not siding with ourself, then the natural response to situations is love, is compassion. And it's not compassion as a stance. It's not the sense, oh, you poor thing, I'm going to be compassionate towards you because that's just another ego game. This is compassion coming out of emptiness of self. This is compassion as an expression of the quality of awareness precisely because the awareness is not frozen. It's not ice. But a question could arise, might arise, why is the natural expression of awareness compassion? I mean, why shouldn't it be aversion, as it seems like it often is? (laughs) Well, when we look carefully, and again, all of this is to really investigate for ourselves. It's not a question of believing any of this. It's all about looking at the nature of our mind, of consciousness in moments of delusion and seeing the contraction, the ice-like quality. Investigating the nature of consciousness free of delusion, which we call awareness. Seeing the water-like fluid nature when we look at our experience, we see that all unskillful actions are rooted in ice. They're rooted in delusion. That's where all of the unskillful actions come from. They come from this sense of self. They come from not seeing clearly. When we're in the nature of awareness, it's fluid, it's open, it's responsive, there's no self-reference, there's no I, there's no sense of self created there. Some time ago I had just a very vivid experience of precisely this move from ice to water and it manifesting as compassion and loving feeling. I was in a situation with a friend and he was very angry with me. And we were having really quite a difficult time. And this, he was angry and so I was feeling hurt and defensive and angry back. But I was mindful enough to at least recognize what was going on And so I just stopped for a moment, feeling the contraction, feeling that ice-like contraction of identification with my own feelings. And then in that moment of feeling the contraction, what I did was to actually relax the heart because I was feeling it right here. I was feeling the tightness in my heart. and So I practiced just relaxing the heart into that space-like quality of awareness, which actually was holding the both of us. So instead of the identification with me here and him there and being in conflict, relaxing the heart into the space-like quality of awareness, holding us both, no longer identified with one side, no longer siding with myself. And what was so amazing was that the energy or the quality of that awareness was metta, was compassion. It was like awareness was just seeing the whole situation, holding both sides, seeing the suffering of it, and it was fantastic it just transformed the anger and the hurt and the defensiveness and the tightness it melted the ice and the water expressed itself as meta as loving feeling so we can do this we can actually practice this, this is not something you know far off in the future Because remember, awareness is not something other. It's simply ice melted. So in all of our experiences of contraction through the day, whether internally, just with what's going on within ourselves or in relationship to others, if we can pay attention and see what's happening, it's possible to relax the heart, to relax into awareness. This is also explained, this process is explained very well in the Abhidhamma. And it's something I just came across. I was reading through uh, some of it the other night. And I came across something that I had not, I'm not an Abhidhamma scholar really. So this really jumped out at me. said that in all wholesome states of mind, that is in all states of mind that are free of ignorance, so we could say all moments of awareness, non-hatred is present. And non-hatred in Abhidhamma terms means feelings of friendliness, of love, of goodwill. But these feelings of friendliness, of love, of goodwill are universals in every moment, in every wholesome moment, in every moment of awareness. And so it all came together. Of course the expression of awareness is loving feeling, is friendly feeling. And what happens when with a loving heart we meet suffering? The natural expression of friendliness in the face of suffering is compassion. So whether we see it from the Tibetan expression, intrinsically empty, naturally radiant, ceaselessly responsive, or we see it from the Abhidhamma expression, that every moment of awareness is a moment of non-hatred, is a moment of love, it comes to the same understanding. Kenzi Rinpoche, who was another great Tibetan master of this century, he expressed it well. He said, when you recognize the empty selfless nature of phenomena, the energy to bring about the good of others dawns uncontrived and effortless. But out of the wisdom mind, the energy to bring about the good of others dawns uncontrived and effortless. It is the very expression of the wisdom mind. Consciousness, the knowing faculty, when it's conditioned by delusion, we call it ignorance. When consciousness is free of delusion, we call it awareness. The expression of awareness, the natural expression of awareness, is love and compassion. So The last question I'd like to just touch on briefly, what supports the movement from delusion to awareness, from ignorance to awareness, to the wisdom mind of no clinging? mindfulness, and wise attention. It's precisely those factors of mind which are the bridge between the mind of ignorance and the mind of awareness. Mindfulness, or sati, which we've talked about a lot, very simply is attentiveness to the present moment. So we see either sooner or later, when we're caught, when we're fixated, when it's ice. Mindfulness notices that. And through the power of that noticing, we can relax. We can melt the ice into water. We transform delusion into awareness right in that moment. Mindfulness brings us back from forgetfulness. Now there are two we could call them levels of mindfulness. And again, they've ex- used different words in different traditions. It comes to the same thing. In the Tibetan tradition, they call it fabricated and unfabricated mindfulness. In Abhidharma terms, they call it prompted and unprompted. Fabricated or prompted mindfulness is the mindfulness that we need to make effort for. We need to practice it. Because the mind gets pulled away very often, we need to bring it back. At a certain level of development, and in every moment of awareness, the mindfulness is unfabricated, unprompted. The mindfulness is contained within the awareness itself. So we use the prompted We use the effort to be mindful to come to that place where mindfulness is unprompted, it's unfabricated, it's simply functioning as a quality of the awareness itself. I'd like to close with a poem Uh, to mindfulness, written by one of our Tibetan teachers. It has a few coarse words in it, (laughs) so anybody who would like to leave. Mindfulness is the root of Dharma. Mindfulness is the body of practice. Mindfulness is the fortress of the mind. Mindfulness is the aid to the wisdom of innate wakefulness. Lack of mindfulness will allow the negative forces to overcome you. Without mindfulness you will be swept away by laziness. Lack of mindfulness is the creator of evil deeds. Without mindfulness and presence of mind, nothing can be accomplished. Lack of mindfulness piles up lots of shit. Without mindfulness, you sleep in an ocean of piss. (laughs) Without mindfulness, you are a heartless zombie, a walking corpse. Dear Dharma friends, Please be mindful. (laughs) (laughs) By the aspiration of the Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, may all friends attain stable mindfulness and ascend the throne of perfect awakening. Let's sit for a couple of minutes. relax into the open nature of awareness, into the mind of no clinging. It's already here. And by the aspiration of the Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, may all friends attain stable mindfulness and ascend the throne of perfect awakening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.